0: To Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host Steve Cooper, and remember am only as Hip is my guest. And I gotta tell you people, I have I have gone cabin fever has gotten to me. It wasn't bad enough that this morning I was sitting there and I was actually grooving to the Cars for Kids jingle. I heard it on the radio, and I was like, this is pretty cool. But then yesterday I sat there in the middle of the day. I watched a. Uh, Hallmark mystery movie with Joanne cuz she's addicted to that stuff. And that was not bad enough, but then last night I watched the three episode, 3-hour three episode of 90 Day Fiancé and I live tweeted during it. So I basically have lost my mind. Anyway, we have a great show today. My guest, we were just talking, you know, he was on uh he was on 4 years ago and it was uh Better Call Saul, it's when he's a co-star of the great show. It was after the second season was about the end. And now recently the fifth season has just ended, and it was great as usual. And I see the guy everywhere. It's like he pops up on you know, Black Monday, all these shows. And now um, my guest is Patrick Fabian. How you doing, Patrick? One eight seven heaven <laughs> cars for kids. Yeah,
1: baby. I tell you what, love it or hate it, and I think we all just to say, for on for that. It is brilliant what? advertising. Whoever came up with it is a winner. There's no way around it. So my hat is tipped to them. No, do you know anybody who has ever donated a car? Do
0: no. you know anybody? No, it's funny. And that's because like, I live in the outside Philadelphia now, and you hear different things like Father something. And in L.A., they had Father Vincent's uh, charity. Yeah, I don't know anyone who's... I mean, people sit there... I mean, I had a car in L.A. when I was moving. It was like to the last legs. I sold it to the mechanic for 200 bucks for parts, but I I sort of feel like a jerk. (laughs) Like, if I sat there and donated a car that was a piece of crap that was about to die, I'd be like, I'm an asshole. Right like oh the car oh this is
1: this is for the kids uh don't, don't get tetanus from touching it when you open the door right <laughs> oh my god i don't know you know i guess for those who have extra cars it's a convenient thing when you're driving down the freeway or you're being driven down the freeway you're like oh we should get rid of some of the cars in the driveway but you know anything for the kids these days there's no doubt about it steve it's good to be back with you thanks for having me back on
0: it's great to get you on now, now have you been going crazy i mean you're you're in i'm sure you're in quarantine i mean i love the thing is l.a It's beautiful, but even today, I think, wasn't it like 95 this weekend? That must drive you nuts to have to stay inside.
1: Yeah, it does. It does drive you nuts to be inside. But, you know, unlike uh, a more compacted city like New York, you know, you can social distance in uh, in the neighborhoods where I'm at and go for a walk. You know, we've got dogs, so we take the dogs for a walk about 40 times a day. Uh, The dogs are like, hey, man, I'm fine. I don't need to go out for another walk. I'm I'm really good. I just went to nap (laughs) for a while. We're like, no, 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 let's go, let's go. Um, so, you know, it's, it's walking dogs and, uh, I've, uh, I've ridden my bike a, a couple of times with a mask on and that sort of thing. The stir craziness mostly is it turns out I've got a seven and nine year old daughter and, uh, it turns out that third graders, uh, and the tech support they need. I'm an, I'm an idiot, I, I am, I'm decidedly on the wrong side of 50 and I cannot even get onto a Zoom meeting for practically. <laughs> and then it also turns out the second graders are not as self-motivated as you would wish they were. And so I thought like the school would be, hey, here's your list of stuff to do, see at two o'clock. And it is not that case whatsoever. And everyone's been tweeting, uh, like we already knew, uh, school teachers are woefully underpaid, so. My quarantine is basically trying to master third grade math, and I'm failing
0: miserably. (laughs) Well, they changed it all. It's like, I saw something, it's like, where you, like, we used to have it, and there was like two columns, and you did it, and you figured it out. Now there's like 18 different steps, and I'm like, what is that? I can never figure that out.
1: No, it's like word association and symbols and, like, thoughts and how do you feel about the math? And I'm like, wait a second, I don't know. And part of me also, is, you know, I want to cut to the chase. I'm like, look, you have a space communicator in your hand. If you don't now, you're going to have one in about five years. It will add for you. I guarantee you all your math problems are taken care of in advance.
0: Now, how does it for you, you know, as an actor who's been working for years... What is it like when all of a sudden you can't go out to audition or you can't, well, you probably get more offers now, but what is it like when you get used to being on the set and it's such a part of your life that right now you're sitting you're in limbo because we know production is going to come back, but we don't know when.
1: Right. You know, uh, being a freelance artist or freelance anything, uh, you're, you're used to downtime. Um, and you've over a career, I've I've grown to figure out how to deal with downtime. The biggest problem is the the lurking suspicion that he'll never work again. I think every actor suffers through that. Um, and anybody who's doing freelance probably also thinks when things are slow, oh, that's it. Did, did we already peak? So keeping that mentally at bay is something that I've always worked on. The difference now is that there is no um, oh, tomorrow the phone will ring. Tomorrow, another opportunity will be there, and I can gear up and I can do the thing that I do because really my job uh, is auditioning, right? My job is to get something new, get the sides, get the script, get as much information as I can, start working on it, prepare for it, do all that stuff, drive, figure out where I'm going to go, get there early, get, 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 get. do the five minutes of the audition, and then drive home and then obsess about it for the next two weeks, waiting for the phone to ring. That's been my existence. And since there's no phone to ring to even have the opportunity, that's the weird thing i mean eventually things will come back but we also don't know what it's going to look like like many businesses restaurants bars all that stuff uh what's the mask situation what's the cleanliness situation what's the spacing situation and since we really don't know that dis-ease and i'm not alone with this everyone is is the big lurker of like what's going to go on um how great that I do have a job waiting for me. Better Call Saul Season 6 was announced and we will complete the series. Um, We're scheduled to go late this year already, so maybe that's going to stay on schedule. I haven't heard anything differently because everyone's sort of in lockdown waiting. Um, But, you know, I, I, I will be very, very excited to be back on set, although set will be different than it used to be. There's no doubt about that. So... Lots of anxiety, so I'm doing a lot of, you know, Home, I've become like, I've become the guy in the valley who's opening his garage door, working out, right, <laughs> with the 20-pound weights I found buried underneath some tools. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've, I have literally become my worst nightmare.
0: Now, Better Call Saul is such a great show, and I remember, and I want you to tell the story, I, you told it last time about when you auditioned for it, because you said everybody wanted that part. What is that like when you see such a meaty part and you know it's going to be a hit as an actor? What is that like going in to audition for that?
1: Well, you know, first of all, it's hats off to the casting office that cast both Breaking Bad and found Brian Cranston and Better Call Saul. Uh, And that would be uh, Sharon Bialy and Sharon Thomas at Bialy Thomas Casting Company. They've been great for years and years and years. And one of the reasons their office is so great is that they they go see live theater? They call everything. They look at all their submissions. They're always looking for something a little outside the box, and and they've been very successful. They're a casting office that is known as actor friendly because when you go in, they work with you. They try to stack the deck in your favor to have the best shot at a job. And so uh, we really love them. Uh, in this particular case, um, I hadn't seen them in a while, um, and. You know, I think I told you before, I had somehow managed to miss scene Breaking Bad. And it was because, basically, my wife was pregnant, uh, I think, eight months with our first kid when... Uh Breaking Bad began and we watched the pilot together and she turned to me you know rubbing the miracle of life in her belly and she says to me uh yeah I'm not so on board with this one so we (laughs) sort of missed the first season of Breaking Bad and then we had a second kid so we got really caught up on uh you know Clifford the Big Red Dog and managed to miss Breaking Bad all of it which is really unique because I'm in a business in a town where it's getting awards and I knew of it but I hadn't really seen an episode then they're doing the sequel Better Call Saul and I'm like oh uh, my first thought was like, well, they're going to get a movie star for this. I mean, this the other show is so successful. They're going to get a movie star. So I get the call to go in on this. Oh, and a quick side note. A week before I get the call to audition for Better Call Saul, I had been up for a job on an ABC family show called Dog with a Blog, which is a very fun show, a very fran- fem- fam- family-friendly show. But indeed, the dog is number one on the call sheet. And I had gone in... And I had done my acting dance, and I had been—they uh, called put it a pin in you. They put a pin in me, so I could wait and be, you know, number five behind the dog. And, <laughs> and then after about a week, uh, I got word that they decided to offer it to a namier name. And as an actor, you know, you hate to lose a job, uh, even if you're going to be working with a dog, and you hate to lose it because you hear something like that. And so I was depressed. And like, wow. And then I get this this audition for Better Call Saul. And I think, well, if I can't get a job on Dog with a Blog, they're going to get a name of your name for this for sure. But, and this is the actor's life, I hadn't seen Sharon Bailey and Sherry Thomas in a long time. It felt like a couple of years. And it's always been to reintroduce them to let them know that you know how to do what you do. So I think, well, they're casting The Walking Dead. So maybe if I'm lucky, this is like year four of The Walking Dead. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, uh maybe i can get a job getting eaten by a zombie on that you know that would be what works for me so i go into the audition with a really low bar my bar is like to get eaten by a zombie so i go for the audition and they give me pages for a song. they didn't give a script they only had three pages it was written by heather marion at the time sort of out in the space uh of these I, I had no idea it was a guy in a suit and i had to just work it like that and so uh actually So I had just lost this job of Dog of the Blog, and I come down the stairs after getting the sides for Better Call Saul. And I say uh, to my wife uh, angrily, I'm like, can you believe it? They give me three pages of sides, no script. How am I going to – it's like sitting on a merry-go-round with one dart and the bullseye is 50 yards away. How do you expect me to get a job like that? I was just ranting as only an actor can rant to his wife. And she said, well, isn't that good? You can just go ahead and make up whatever you want. Which, of course, is not the answer I wanted to hear, right? And I was like, <laughs> what? Anyways, this is a long story, but the reason is because I finally go over for the audition, and I go and I see Sherry Thomas, and we sit down and we chat, and she gives me some direction, and she says, uh, "She goes, okay, they, they like it real. And I go, okay, great. So then we do it, and then I'm in one of those awful actor moments. Any actors out there will, will, will know that feeling... I start, and the train starts rolling. I am not keeping it real. I am projecting through the back of the camera lens, to the back <laughs> of a wall, to some stadium where I think I'm Beyonce, and I can't stop. I'm outside of myself. I see the train wreck. I'm moving. I'm shouting. I'm gesticulating, and I'm like, ah, and I finish the audition, and Sherry Thomas looks at me. God bless her. She goes, okay let's do it again we have that um they they like it real and (laughs) and somewhere in my reptilian actor brain i was able to 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 calculate she has given you the same note twice now and i was like okay so i sort of threw it all away did my thing said my goodbyes and as i drove away i thought maybe i crossed my fingers i thought you know maybe maybe i'm still gonna get later i get a call and they said that Vince uh, Gilligan and Peter Gould had seen the tape and they liked it and they wanted to test me a week later i tested over at sony and a day after that i got the job and i was like what because and this is for this particular actor and maybe this is the way it goes for a lot of actors i didn't all of a sudden become great between losing the job for Dog with the Blog and getting the job for Better Call Saul. I was pretty much the same actor doing the same sort of thing, you know what I mean? But this is a great example of sometimes you're the answer, sometimes you're not. And it it your job is to go and show that you know how to act and you know how to do this thing to your best of your abilities. And you're either sort of 60 percent the answer when you walk in the door or not think and so in this particular case whatever they thought howard hamlin was going to be when they saw me they're like oh that that seems like in the ballpark and then i get the job and it's life-changing right? it's very funny because people are like so when vince offered you the job and i thought no i got this job just like i got my first job i got the size. i worked out the best of my ability i showed up a casting director helped me and then uh, I happened to be the answer for the question they had across the table. And it happened to be this job. So I'll take it. And I had a great I've great, I've had a great time with it. Um, but uh, I love that, that two-week period where, you know, uh, you can't believe either of them too much or you'll go insane. You know what I mean?
0: Now, what do you think now, looking back, that it seems like everyone's going to pretty much taped auditions. I've talked to some actors like Ray Abruzzo said, the only reason he got the job Little Carmine on The Sopranos was because away oh, he tipped his head in the audition. They're expecting a big fat guy for Little Carmine. So it was so important that he got in a room with the casting director. What is it like now when you sit there and you tape something? I know you can go over it and over it, but you don't get that personal energy. Is that Does that bother a lot of actors?
1: Well, you know, it, it cuts both ways. For me, I do like the personal thing, and uh, I like being I like that I'm going somewhere. It feels like having a, a real job, right? It feels like going to work. I gotta go to work, I gotta go to Universal today, I gotta go to this casting office over on Third Street, and I have to be there early, because parking's terrible, but I know there's that coffee shop there, so I'll go an hour. So you sort of have a thing to do. You have to plot your way out, and then I always like to get there early, because whatever I've been thinking about or the radio or the lines or whatever, I, I, I need to like get my yayas out, get my game face on. And so I like the rhythm of parking, grabbing my sides, walking around, working on it for a little while, and then finally entering the audition space, getting in my head doing my thing. Because really, like I said, that five minutes of the audition, that's my job. My job is to show up and show that I know what I'm doing. It might be what you're looking for. It might not. But I want the director and the casting director and the writer and the producer, whoever sees me live or tape, uh, that they go away saying like, oh, he knows what he's doing. He's totally wrong for this. But then when they do another project, because we're all going to work on something else again, that they go, oh, you know who actually is good for this? Bring the guy in that we didn't get the job to a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And I think that's how things work out. So you're robbed of that when you do it at home. Plus, I'm not a big fan of looking at myself. I know somewhere out there people are laughing. It's true. Uh, and uh, I don't know if I'm really the best judge of what my of what my best work is when it comes to an audition, to tell you the truth. I get lost in – is that lit well? Maybe I should move my head down like this when, in fact, I think talking and listening truth, bringing and illuminating whatever the author has written is where you're gonna is, you know, I think it's more about how it sounds than when it looks. So, if I'm being my own director, it, it makes it tough. However, I have a feeling that that is the way it is going to go, it is continuing to move that way. And there's plenty of apocryphal stories of people who have gotten jobs uh, being taken. I believe Lalo. On Beto Carl Saul, played by the exquisitely handsome and effortlessly charming Tony Dalton. I believe he taped himself on an iPhone and sent it in. And I think that's how he got the job. And there's a lot of stories like that, people getting jobs with that. So you better learn to love it one way or the other, because I think it's here today.
0: Now, do you think that when you would go into the room, you know, when you would sit there and lie, because you have a, you you're, you're, You know, your your degree in acting, you've done theater. Do you think that helps a lot when you're going into that situation? Not specifically when you're in camera, but when you're going into that audition, you know how to deliver the goods because you've been a a, a trained actor.
1: Absolutely. And I encourage anybody who is getting into the business, to get trained, get into class, learn how to stand on a stage and deliver a monologue, do a scene with people right there, grilling you, looking at you three feet away from you, 10 feet away from you in the hot spotlight. I think that's in very valuable training because it, to your point, you know, I went to Penn State University for uh, undergraduate work and then I came out to Cal State Long Beach and got a master's degree, uh, still surprises my father, in theater. <laughs> and, um, and what that did for me was give me enough shots at auditioning, enough shots at being on stage, being good and bad and not sure, so then when it came time to drive to an audition space um that was just another room well i know how to okay what's the size of the room who are the people who i'm talking to am i talking to them or am i going to pick a point in the, in the uh on the back wall and stuff like that? and all those things that's, that's just tools that's just craft that that's practice and rehearsal and i think you can get that from class i think you can get that from training programs and and whether it was true or not It gave me an extra boost of confidence when I'd walk into the room and I'd see, oh, there's 20 of me, some with better teeth, some that are a little younger, some with better hair, some with better suits. Oh, I recognize that guy. And Then you get in your head.
0: Oh,
1: but then when I walk into the room. I always felt like, well, I know what I'm doing. You know, I got trained to do this. I know what I'm doing. Doesn't mean it's not like a uh, you know a crazy in your head, but absolutely, I think it, it gives
0: me a leg up. Well, okay, you've been you've been acting for a long time, and you know you've been on shows where you're recurring. I mean, before now. Any time in the past, like after you started, because it is a hard life. Was there any time you got pretty uh, frustrated, or just thought about giving it up, or did you say, "Man, I went to school for this. This is in my blood." I mean, how did you balance that?
1: Well, I mean, even if you went to school for it and you think it's in your blood and it is in your blood, doesn't mean the business is going to go ahead and and allow you to make a living at it. It's a hard business. You're right. It's an uncaring business. Um, And it's not a meritocracy. Just because you put your time in doesn't mean you get your shot. And that's that could be said in in any respect of life. In this one, we love the tales, the romantic tales of, you know, off the bus. It's the thing. And it's there, baby. and, And you see that. When you're a young man or a woman in your twenties, and you're turning, so you just got to town and, and you're, you're doing your theater and you're working as waiters and you're, you're falling in love and going to parties and you hear about somebody who knows somebody and da-da-da-da, you think it's all this and then all of a sudden one of your friends who used to wait tables with you is all of a sudden on friends or is on ER or the guy you used to golf with every now and then. It was really nice and fun. Uh, you find out is George Clooney. And then he becomes, you know, George Clooney. Uh, he's still your friend when you see him golfing, but you don't see him much golfing anymore. You know what I mean? And that's a weird thing as you get older to, to go along. Um, I, I like, I, I've said this a thousand times, but it's true. We all wanted to be Brad Pitt in our 20s. Uh, it turns out that job was taken and played very well, by the way, uh, by Mr. Pitt himself. And so we're all his age now. And he's still, by the way, playing a great Brad Pitt. He really does. He's nailed it. Uh, and I turn around and look and go like, oh, I've been a working actor, which is what most of us end up being. Most of us end up work, being working actors who have worked with, you know, I've worked with the Olsen Twins. I've worked with Angela Lansbury, Xena. I've been on Star Trek. I've been on all the Law and Orders. I mean, all that stuff, right? And it takes time and it takes job after job after job after job to create that and I didn't get into it to be a movie star, and I didn't get into it to be rich and famous, although, had any of those things happened, and by the way, Universe, if they still want to, I am very open to it. I, I was always interested in the collective of like, uh, you know, let's put on show. I mean, I, I, get, I, get, I get juice out of that. It's exciting to get the call time to go to sets. It's exciting to go try wardrobe on. It's exciting to go and and all of a sudden be on a set with a new director and a new uh, thing and this and that. Um, But to your point, does it get bummed out when you realize you're always the guest star and not the star? Absolutely. It's hard. The mental aspect of watching other people, quote unquote, make it while you, quote unquote, don't is very, very rough and, and debilitating. And there have been times where, you know, rent, car payments, you know, all the stuff of life that everybody goes through, you know, that credit card people are calling, you know, you go through those periods where you, oh, I'm just not going to open the mail for six months to see what happens. You know, I run into my ditches, as many people do, but I did keep going because I was fortunate uh, without a doubt. I was fortunate. I was fortunate. I was trained. I was fortunate that I felt that I was unable to do anything else in life. And then I got, you know, I got lucky along the way. You know, I was able to cobble stuff together, get my finances in order and learn to live within my means. Huh? Oh, that's not sexy. That's not sexy talk at all. But as I grew up, I grew up a little bit and I was able to weather the storm in between jobs, take advantage of the jobs when they were there, knowing that everything has an end job-wise. And for instance, even Saul, you know, season three, one of my buddies who I came up with, who you know we used to hate each other when we'd walk in the audition room and now we show each other pictures of our kids. He called me up during season three and he said, hey, 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 uh, because I just want to let you know, uh, we're still all out there, you know, uh, parking and, and auditioning. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, it's going to end soon. And so you're already getting in your head thinking, what am I going to do next? Is it ever going to be this good? And he, he wasn't wrong. Of course I was. And he goes, let me give you a piece of advice. Why don't you just be in the sunshine while it's shining on you? and I'll see you at the fourth level of the parking garage of Paramount in about two more years, okay? It'll be waiting for you. And we'll just roar it with laughter because that's the business. That's that's what that is. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I will enjoy the sunshine while it's here with Saul, and I will take it for what it is, uh, and then I will get in line and go back and audition for whatever's next when the phone rings again.
0: Now, earlier in your career, and, you know, you play Saw, you play, you know, the lawyer who's you know, a jerk. I mean, in all honesty, he's trying to be nicer, but he's still, and it's great. <laughs> and it's just, it's yeah. great. It's so funny, the bowling ball scene this year just cracked me up. And, uh, but when you, younger in your career, because you are, you're, you're a blonde, good-looking guy, you're, you're six foot, did you feel sometimes you were getting called for roles that you yeah. were maybe too trained for? I don't know how to put that, like, did they say, oh, we, we want a good-looking, like, we want a frat guy for, you know, revenge of the nerds like that kind of role did you ever find that that and did that ever get frustrating that you know you because you had a certain look and you were going against other people who had that look but you're trained and they aren't did that ever come into your game
1: well not so much trained, but let's let's face it it's hollywood and uh there is there's is definitely sort of typecasting i was not going in for the plumber i didn't go in for a working man who was just trying to get himself scrabbled up and part of that was the way i looked right i just and 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 that's also, that's also a bit of acceptance, right? The reason I keep seeing the same kind of guys when I go into the room is because that's the kind of part that they're going. So I'm playing lawyers, I'm playing doctors, I'm playing CEOs that look like they're nice. in The first act, the fourth act, you find out that they're selling kids for drugs. And it's like, uh, and I'm like, so is that who I am? And my mother used to call and she goes, are you bad again in this one? And I'm like, yeah, mom, I'm bad. It's what pays the bills. And um, of course, what I wanted to do is like be the good guy, like the sheriff. And I, we talked about this the other day. I was talking to my friend. He goes, he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to be in a Western, and I want to be like, just Charles. But the reality is, in a Western, most likely, I'm the guy on the train being sent from back east with a suit saying, sorry, <laughs> we've bought your town. I mean, that's the reality. Um, and so I will accept that. If I get an opportunity to do other things, um, uh, they'll probably be on a smaller scale. You know, I did a movie called Driver X. Uh, which is an independent film where I play a guy who's driving Uber because his record store goes under, buddy. You can catch it on Hulu. We had a great time making it. Um, and it's funny. I got a couple of comments from people saying, like, you know, I felt bad that you lost your job, but you look like a guy who's going to turn up okay. You're going to turn out all right. You know, It's and I was like, I get it. It wasn't exactly character work, but it was – it was a different kind of work, but no one's going to have me play Iago, and I'm, I'm not going to be Charles Lawton, and I'm not, you know, uh, this is it's not a cross to bear whatsoever. You want to put me in a suit, and, and you give me a piece of authority, and, and I'm good with dialogue? The only thing I'll say that, training made me good with dialogue. It made me good with words I maybe didn't even understand, medical stuff. You know, people are like do you like stage? Do you like film? Do you like I like the next job. That's what I like. I like to work because you never know where it takes you and what you're gonna do.
0: Now, when you when you got cast on Better Call Saul, in your mind you knew that it would be a few seasons, right? It wasn't one of those things. You didn't think it would be like a one off, did you? Because it has the popularity. It had the Breaking Bad lead-in. Can we say? Does that change how you're looking? At your career, or then, but you still, or do you still get those insecurities as the actor who's always looking for the job, thinking, "Oh shit, something's going to happen. They're going to kill me off after the first season."
1: Oh no, the killing thing, absolutely. Uh, you know, we got, pick, I think we got picked up for two pretty early, like maybe show. And then a couple of episodes in, they announced two seasons, and and I don't know if it was PR or what it was, but it was nice to hear them announce it. But just because they announce it doesn't mean they can't rescind it, so nothing's permanent, really. So uh, to know that is great, but because uh, we know that my character isn't in Breaking Bad, uh, much like uh, Kim Wexler and uh, Nacho Varga, uh, early on, all three of us would get scripts, and kind of the first thing we would do is just to make sure we were in it, you know? Because I thought, you know, I'm expendable. Anyone's expendable. And so there was a nervousness about that. But then at some point, you just have to go, look, I'm in it or I'm not in it. These writers have handled things so wonderfully that if I only get to be in it for a little while, then so be it. If I don't get to be in it for a little while, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll ride the ride while it's here and enjoy working with the people I've got. But that paranoia of like, is this it? Is this is the best I've ever? Am I am I getting get get another job? I think everybody suffers from that. I think everybody suffers from that.
0: Now, when when you got cast, now did you have to move to New Mexico because it shoots down there, right?
1: It does shoot down there, but you know what? It's an hour and a half flight from Los Angeles, and since it's not called Better Call Howard, and it never will be. Sorry, Mom. Um, it turns out that the work. Broke down that I would end up flying there, worked what I did to do for an episode, and then I'd fly back again. I got two kids and my wife, and you know, dogs to walk, and they don't care that I'm on TV. So it's been really sort of beautiful that I fly there, and when I'm there, I get to be TV guy. I get to work and do the show and be concentrated on that. And then as soon as I'm done, I come back here, and no one's going to work with me uh, during the season for the most part uh, because I'm locked off and I'm the whole thing to that so then, I get to be full-time dad making turkey sandwiches. So it's been a real, a real blessing to have a job like this so close.
0: Now, when you're on a set that, you know, the, as you, you're, you, it's a hit show, what's the feeling like on the set? Is it, is it very relaxed because the people, the crew, they know they're, they still have a job and they know there's going to be another season. What's it like when you work on a set like that and then you've been together for a while? Is it very comfortable? Do you feel like you really know each other? a lot of the crew came
1: from Breaking Bad so they already had a, a sort of a, a way to work and a shorthand of how to communicate uh, obviously Bob and uh, Jonathan Banks Jim Carlos Esposito had been around as are some other characters had been popping up uh, a lot of the directors were some of the same as well some of the writers uh, as well so there was a real familial feel to it again Ray Seahorn myself and Michael Mando were sort of the new kids on the block sort of figuring out what was going on um, but I don't think, I think once the season is picked up, then everybody's like, great, we have 10 episodes we're going to make. So no one's no one's worried about sort of losing their job mid-season or something like that. So work becomes work. Uh, they work hard. That crew just busts their ass like nobody's business. And part of it is because the bar has been set really high, right? Breaking Bad ended up being, uh, what, if not the greatest television show, uh, you know, ever done. Uh, visually, it is, is is second to none, without a doubt. And that comes down to the crew that comes down to the crew of the DT and everyone who's hustling and making that happen that same hustle and happening happens with better call saul and so i witness that all the time really i have the luxury of being a part of it by being the last piece in and whenever we do the premieres we get the same on the big screen which is such a treat because they really are a visual feast and so i i still sit there when we see the premieres at the beginning of the season and and if I come walking on the screen, and I'm like, holy shit, I, I, that's me. I get to be in this. I'm still surprised and happy and thrilled, because I think it's a beautiful show. Uh, and it comes from all the hard work. But you know what? We love working on it, because we love the final product. We love that the fans love it. It's great that the critics like it as well. And so it's fun to work on a show that you know is being well-received, that your hard work is going to be received well. So uh, they work without complaint, and they work really hard.
0: Now... Did you know Michael McCann would be leaving the show or was that something that just got written in or and what was it like working with him because I mean everyone forgets man he was Lenny from Lenny and Squiggy I mean come on
1: Absolutely. No, he's, he's a beast. He's a beast of an actor, which is so great. What a towering talent. And, and here's what I know. They when they hired him to play, uh, you know, Chuck, uh, they didn't know how long that was going to go on. That they, they didn't know. We, they, but as I started writing and as I started seeing him work, they're like, oh, there's all these other possibilities and all these things. And uh, it's on the strength of his performance and his ability that the character lasted as long as it did is what I think. Um, you know, we were all sad to see him go. Me especially, most of my scenes uh, were with him, it felt like, and we were really tethered with one another. I always felt like when I went to a scene and Michael McKean was in it, that, oh, the scene's going to be fine because he's in it. And watching him work uh, was like going to school again. It was a reminder like, well, why is he so good? Well, I'll tell you why he's so good. He's whip smart. He's intelligent. He reads all the time, voraciously. And he's not on his phone. Um, I'm not going to throw Ray Seahorn and Mando under the bus, but maybe the three of us were looking at ourselves and Instagramming a little more, and Michael McKean and Bob Odenkirk sit there and read hardback books. And I was like, huh, maybe there's something there. But also, when, we got, when it got time to, to do the work, uh, he was inventive, and he was willing to throw out whatever he came with to say, oh, that's not going to work, let's try this. And I thought to see the flexibility and the openness for him to sort of like just play the moment was a great reminder of that. Like, that's how that works. So he was wonderful to work with. We were sorry to see him go. And because it was such a family, when we started season four and Chuck is gone, it really did feel like, it wasn't until that first scene, it's Bob, me and Ray, and we're outside of this burned out house. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, he's really not coming back, is it? It was very sad, which was great. I mean, great for the show, is
0: what I mean. Now, as your character, you know, as it goes on, you know, what do you have any input of where your character is going to go, or is, it, is that all on, on the writers? I mean, did they ever come to you and say, you know, hey Patrick, you know, we want Howard to go this way? How does that work?
1: In five years of doing the show, the only call I got was Melissa Bernstein, our executive producer and also a uh, uh, first-time director this season. She called me up to see um, if I had any problems exposing my bare feet to camera. I was like, what? She goes well. you are very particular for people, and we just wanted to know if we could design a shot that would show your feet. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, yes, Melissa, you may show sure my feet. She goes, Thanks very much. And I thought if they knew the brain trust would better call Saul what they did all day, that's executive producing. Um, and with that, um, that's really the only thing they've ever passed by me for my approval of what they wanted to do with my character. Uh, the great thing about them is we get scripts about a week beforehand. We don't really get told in advance. I I had no idea what was going on with Howard or how it was gonna play out. I didn't know uh, what was happening at the end of season five with sort of the setup. I didn't know if I was gonna make it out alive from season five, and when I say make it out alive, I don't mean literally get killed. I mean, story-wise, if there is any need for someone to be the show anymore, because they're also not going to write just for sensationalism. These writers are going to write to where the story takes them. And that means people fade away, just in life. In life, people fade away out of your life. And as he kept barreling towards Jimmy McGill becoming Saul Goodman, uh, I could see a path where I, my services would no longer be needed, as they say. Uh, But it looks like I am going to be in at least a couple more episodes coming up in in six. So I don't know what's coming up. Uh, I'm just glad to be invited to the party for the last
0: roundup. Now, what is it like for you all of a sudden more people are probably recognizing you? You'd play a character that's not that likable. And unfortunately in America, some people can't make the differentiate between a character in a show and a real person. Have you had any weird things happen to you since people started really recognizing you from uh, Better Call Saul?
1: Well, you know, uh, because I've had a varied career, uh, what I what I used to get, and I, I call this the airport thing, I'd be walking through airports, and all of a sudden someone would stop and go, hey, 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 hi, hi. And then you could see them sort of not know, and then say, didn't we go to school together? And... You know, I'd, I'd go, no, no, we, we didn't. But you don't want to be the asshole. It was like, I'm on TV. But that's exactly what it's from, right? Because it's a unique job to have. And they're like, are you sure? No, I'm from Pennsylvania and I live in California. And then I try to get the courtesy of the idea of like, well, maybe we do know each other outside of the business. It's a crazy business. And then eventually I'm like, well, I'm on TV sometimes. And they're like, oh, that's it. Oh, 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 oh. Um, uh, um, and I sort of do the Terminator to them. Like, I'm like, how old are they? What sex are they? What do I think they may have seen? And then I'll venture a guess. Like, uh, did Xena the warrior princess? And they say, no, 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 that's not it. And as soon as that moment happens, I'm then stuck in an airport Going down my resume, saying friends? <laughs> nope. Will and Grace? Nope. Uh, two of a kind? Nope. Um, how about uh, CSI Miami? No, 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 no. So then Finally, you'll come to something like, oh, yeah, that's it. You're the guy from the commercial thing that I saw. And uh, so I would always laugh because I'm like, oh, my God. I'm so broken as a, as a human being, as a lot of actors are, that I'm willing to stand in the middle of the St. Louis airport and literally go down my entire resume <laughs> just so I can satisfy that person to prove to them that I really am on television. Now, more often than not, I get people uh, just walking past and saying, hey Howard, keep it up, or hey Howard, get off Kim's back. Um, one guy, I was in, this is what, two years ago, I'm in New York City, we were up there doing some promotion work for the show, which is really fun. and. I'm taking a walk through Central Park and some guy uh, walking running through the park he's got his, his headphones on and I hear this, Howard, Howard! And I turn over and he's pointing at me and he goes, yeah, you! And he goes, you get off Kim's back, you understand? And I said, I will, I'll try my best I'm just trying to run him off him, he goes, okay Howard, okay! <laughs> Not even breaking stride and he kept running that way and I kept walking the other way and I thought alright, I guess that's what success is, right? Then and there.
0: Now, you're, with Howard, you know, you have a certain cadence when you speak. And Now, is that something that you've done subconsciously and that came from the audition, or is that something that you've got directed to do?
1: Uh, you know, I think it's something that I've done organically. It's just an amalgamation of a lot of things. You know, uh, a parental thing. I think I, I'll tip my hat to my father a lot in terms of the carefulness of which he speaks and uh, sort of the right side of uh good and bad decisions that he speaks I think I think Howard is somebody who doesn't think that he's really operating uh, with malice or with bad intentions um, and as we saw in season four when he thinks that he did he was willing to go ahead and do the the heavy lifting to sort of come to figure out what that was he had sort of a midlife crisis but of course on the other end he's he's become all sort of meditative and and giving it open to things, but he's still the kind of guy who feels compelled to put Namaste on the license plate of his Jaguar. So you know, there's a that is one of those great little details that the writers gave you to remind you exactly who
0: Howard is. Now, as an actor, when you look at the, I mean, you've been you've had your names and credits all through your career, but when you when it opens up to a series and your name is in that front part not the end or not you know not the guest star how does it make you feel as an actor do you do you get a little bit charge of that because it's not the after the credits run you know it's always just see i mean if i was an actor i i, I would always wanted to have been the and guy because so i think that's like the cool thing like and steve cooper is the crazy neighbor uh, and, and by the way i, I they, they negotiate stuff like that you know they
1: do right of course it's like the the show stars all of these people and which means like, it so implies like we can't get this done without this person let's <laughs> let's underline it all um, i don't think i've been an and before maybe i have i don't think so though. No. um but, but to your point yeah it's thrilling i get to watch the credits of a show that uh, is, you know a worldwide hit that critics like and in the very beginning i sit there and then boom there's my name right following ray Stewart. and i was like oh my gosh that's that, that does not get old, and I think the reason it doesn't get old is one. Again, I'm broken emotionally, and I have a big giant black hole in my center that needs to be filled with applause and love. Um, but also, for all the times, for all the times that I I, I, I drove down uh, to audition and didn't get the job, and every actor has these stories. You know, a certain show that you get Diagnosis Murder comes to mind. I think it was on for what 116 years, and I auditioned for it for 50 of those years and never could get the job. I never could get the job, and I must have auditioned for it every year for like a decade. And it's just one of those elusive things where you go like, how am I not getting a job on diagnosis murder? And the answer is because you're not the answer this week again. And having to take that all the time uh, in various uh, you know, shows that are out there cumulatively – it just wears on you, and honest to God, it's such it's such a cheap it's such a cheap thrill. Hey, that's my name. It costs the production nothing, by the way, just to put my name up in yellow letters, and it thrills me to no end, absolutely. And also, you know what? It makes my parents happy, absolutely.
0: Now, since you're part of a hit show, how does that change your? How you view that in Hollywood? You know, a lot of times, you know, people always say you're the next hot thing or this or that, but for you, because you are on a hit and it is critically, uh, people love it. Does that get it easier for you to get in the door or does that detract if you have to go and audition? Oh, you know what? That's a head game you can
1: play. And I think it depends on the project if you want to do that. I've always been a a lunch pail actor. I don't mind going in to get the job. I know how to get the job. I know how to go in and audition, and I don't mind doing it. Uh, There are certain jobs where you feel like, um, for instance, your agent's, would probably say like, well, he's already played a lawyer. You can take a look at five years of better call. Saul. you know, certain projects will sort of align themselves with stuff I've already done. And, and if they can make the argument, this is why you have managers and agents, if they can make the argument to the producers saying, yeah, he shouldn't have to audition. You should just offer this to, him. And then they'll say like, well, if we offer it, will he take it? And then they have that dialogue and then they'll get to me. Um, I get offers sometimes. And it's directly because of, uh, like, Beyonce, or more to the point, I've been around long enough, I've worked with a lot of directors, or I've worked with a lot of producers who have worked with me. And so they feel comfortable saying, yeah, we can offer this to Patrick, because he's he's played a rock star proctologist before on Grey's Anatomy. We're comfortable (laughs) with his back-end work, if you know what I mean. So you get benefits for that, which is also why I rarely say no to any audition because you just don't know where it leads to. You don't know what's going to happen. And that's sort of the glory of the business. Um, In terms of what's Saul going to do for me post Saul, I don't know. I would like to think from this point on, I will never have to audition and they'll just merely offer me stuff. they will be wildly overpaid with great locations. Uh, I can think that all I want. Uh, The reality is, um, oh, and here's a reality check. So, was it two years ago? No, it was last year. Uh, Veep was in its final season on HBO Julia Louise Drive. I mean, just brilliant comics. Everything's great. And we had a call for an audition for it. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. But a part of me was like, oh, can I get an offer maybe? Because like, I'm on a hitch show too, right? And the answer was decidedly and very quickly, no because no is the answer the answer is no and I'm a big fan of like so what are the requirements for the job for this job it requires for you to drive over to Paramount Studios and you're going to go ahead and audition. and I thought that's fair because you know what I play a lawyer on this and it's a drama and they haven't seen me do comedy and this is a comedy so and, and by the way it's worth it I'll go audition if I get to work with Julie Louis-Dreyfus absolutely if I get in my acting suit I drive over and my last thought was like and plus I always have a thrill driving onto the lot at Paramount it's a gorgeous Lot. it's one of those sublime thrills of being an actor, you don't know when you're never going to get a call again, so let's go And so I drive on to the main gate of Paramount I'm feeling pretty good and uh, I get to the main gate and I hand him my license and he looks at me and goes oh yeah, 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 you're not on the lot you gotta go park over on Lemon Grove Street and use the West Gate and so <laughs> I, I, I take my license back, I turn around I do not go into the lot of Paramount I have to fight the traffic to go park on Lemon Grove and then I go to the Western Gate, and they didn't have me in the system, and then they do have me in the system. And then I, and then all of a sudden, he's like, he goes, uh, you know, just follow the yellow line, or you can just follow that guy. And I look ahead of me, and I swear to God, it was the greatest metaphor in the world. There's a guy ahead of me, he's wearing a suit, too. And then about 20 yards ahead of him is another guy wearing a suit. And about 20 yards ahead of him is another guy wearing a suit. And we are all going to the same spot. And we all walk into this room and we're all standing there. I know half of them. I'm like, there's Larry, there's Spencer, there's... And we sit down and just giggle. And we're like, wow, it's good to know in 30 years we've uh, <laughs> we've moved up the food chain. And then, you know, we laughed about it. And then we all hunkered down. And we all got quiet. And we all did whatever we needed to do. And then one by one, we went in and we did our audition. And you know what? I went in and it was great because uh, I met a new assistant who was working for this casting director who I've known for years. And that's great because, uh, no, I did not get the job. Um, but what I did was I got to go show that assistant what I do live and I got to say hello to her and I got to meet her. And then hopefully when something else comes along, she will think, Oh, uh, maybe we should have Patrick in. Cause guess what? No, not everybody's watching everything in this town. Right? So I've been on the show for five years and there's plenty of people who have never seen it. So, you know. Look, I hope it's offer only, and I get to shoot in the Caribbean. But I'm pretty sure I'm just going to pray for a a drive on Paramount first and foremost. We'll we'll start small.
0: Well, now you know because you, back to Better Call Saul. How fun is the set? Because I know you're very, you're very, um, you're very active on Instagram, and it just seems like the 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 cast is really really tight. Is it just a fun environment?
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, the work can be very intense. We all take the work very, very seriously when it comes to it, you know, because it, it, it demands it. And it, it demands to, to really have your A game and really be prepared. And But when we're not working, we like to play. We like to play hard as well. And, uh, you know, I've become great friends with Ray Seahorn. And uh, her and her like brother and sister, which is fantastic, um, which makes the scenes even more fun than we're up there. Bob's a great number one. And uh, even though he'll like to present something else, that Jonathan Banks is a sweetheart. He's such a good guy. And, um, you know, it's 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 fun to work and it's fun to work on a show where, you know, you're going to be working for the entire season as well. So you go through that cycle. Of, uh, of coming together, here's the family, who's here, what's going on, oh, what's happening this week, what's happening this season, and then it starts to get close towards the end, and we're tired or we're burned out, and we want to be done, but we don't want to be done because we don't want to say goodbye, but then we get to premiere it and we get to watch it, and that's great. So it's all very cyclical uh, of sort of dealing with the roller coaster of emotions and everything else. Um, but I couldn't be happy with the family that I've got on Better Call Saul, and I will be very, 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 very sad. When we have to finally say goodbye.
0: Now, now as an actor that's had a long career, you know, you've been on Carol's second act recently, you've been on Black Monday, and you've been on Sal, uh, Better Call Saul. They're all different. How do you acclimate to getting ready for, you know, Black Monday is shorter, it's more of a sitcom, but it's not a sitcom, it's a live action. You know, Carol's second act is a network sitcom. You know, it's different. You know, there's different barriers between a Black Monday and a Carol's second act. How do you as an actor prepare for it? I mean, you're an actor. That's what you do. But when you sit there, do you have to be in a different mind frame when you're doing something like that? Uh, yeah without a doubt i mean with these those are two great examples black monday
1: is a is loose fast and improvy so it seems it's scripted very hard although you're working with andrew ranolds and casey wilson who are brilliant off the top of their heads so a bit of that is that they let the camera's roll and they sort of they do a thing they, they'll, they'll go off uh, off tracks and sometimes but that's all right so for that one i just wanted to make sure i could hit the tennis ball back across the net when it was my turn i also knew how to get out of the way because that wasn't my moment or my bit it's like no know what your goal is right know what the play is the play is to set them up and watch them hit home runs and that's fun um they were a blast to work with at the same time i was working on carol's second act and i hadn't done a live action sitcom in a long time um And I, and I immediately, my brain was like, I'm totally fine. I remember how to do this, but as we were doing it, Patricia Heaton, who was wonderful to work with and such a pro talk about somebody who knows where the funny is, how to get the funny out of a walk, a turn, a line, an eyebrow and keep it real. That's the big thing. Keeping it real. When she keeps it real it does that, it's hilarious. So we were doing something, and I forget what it was. It was a run-through for network. So there's like 60 people standing on, on the other side of the yellow line of the set. And We're in the set doing something, and I don't know. It was my cue, and I spaced out, and it was supposed to be the joke, and it wasn't, and it was the run-through, and uh, I, I just didn't say anything. And Patricia and, and <laughs> and Heaton, goes, she goes, Patrick, this is an hour-long drama. We would like the joke that the writers have written, and everybody laughed, and I was so, you know, happily embarrassed, and we all gagged and started at the top, and we nailed it and got it and all that stuff, but it was a great reminder of, like, oh, yeah, I've been doing something else primarily for a while, so it was so much fun to be on set and work with her, a and a lot of Sabrina Jaliz, and they were so welcoming and fun. A lot of them had seen the show, Saul and they were fans, and some hadn't. But in the end, you know, we're putting on a play. A sitcom is we're putting on a play, you know, in five days. Here's the script. What are we going to do? What are we going to try? What works? What doesn't work? Throw it out. And I, You have to be really nimble on a sitcom, and I like that. It's Fast and Furious. If it's funny, it stays. If it's not, it goes. And the show you have on Friday is different than the script you read on Monday, and it's hard work and fast work, and they couldn't have been more welcoming. You know, I did about four episodes of that, and uh, up playing her love interest, Patricia Heaton's love interest for a little while. Um and, uh, you know, I'm not dead on the sitcom, so hopefully I'll come back. Although, at the very last episode, Kelsey Grammer was introduced as her ex. So,
0: we'll see about that. The vagaries of television, you know, we'll see what happens. Now, you know, as I said, you know, on on your IMDb, which, you know, you, you do to the airports, the people, you have 149 credits. But now, you, I just, you know, it's, I, I always scan the IMDb's. You were in a short recently called She Fell... How do you end up in a short? Is that someone you know is doing it, or what happened?
1: Wait, what was the short called? She Fell? Oh, yeah, She Fell. Uh, yeah, it, it, you know what? It was somebody I knew. Uh, a guy I've been playing volleyball with for, like, uh, 18 years. He's a producer works we mostly in uh, reality television, but he, he was producing a short for his friend who wanted to do, basically, a proof of concept for a feature like horror film. And uh, so he called me up. And basically, it was like, will you do me a favor and, and, and be in this? And I was like, yeah, sure. First of all, I love horror films. This sounds fun. So you know, I got to work with him as a director-producer for the first time. I got to work with this new writer. And we got to make this short little film over uh, a weekend. Uh, it's a little short. It made the festivals. It was cute. It was fun. It was creepy. Uh, and it may be the seeds of something larger down the line. Uh, they might want me to reprise this role doing something else. Um, and so, again, I ended up working with people. One of the actresses, Ingrid Rogers, who I ended up working with, uh, her husband Robert Munich, uh, who's been working as a director for years and years, we hit it off, and then him and my wife hit it off, and then he got my wife hooked up uh, directing uh, this great thing for an outreach for uh, kids who are uh, in um, in uh, halfway houses. So then we find ourselves, ironically enough, on the Paramount lot for a premiere of all of these films that these kids who are in halfway houses and. And uh, orphans and whatnot have directed their, you know, written scripts and crude films. My wife directed one. And I thought, well, this all comes from doing a small thing like she felt because there's connections, because you just don't know who you're going to meet on certain things. And unless it's the worst thing ever or it really gets in your way, it's all about meeting people and working and seeing what's what. You know, you don't, everyone's tried to do something better. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be willing to look bad. You gotta be willing to, you know,
0: you know, take a chance. Well, that's awesome, man. I want to thank you for coming on. It was, uh, I didn't, you didn't tell your Blue or cold story, but that's fine. That was four years ago. Um, <laughs> I still remember that a buddy of mine was listening to our show, a guy I'm good friends with, this guy, Carrie Steuben, and he was at my wedding. And, you know, he, he listens to my show every once in a while. He sent me a message a few weeks ago. He's like, yeah, I'm listening to the, uh, Patrick Fabian episode. I didn't, I didn't know he was from our area. I go, yeah. Well, he's a Rutgers guy. You know, Rutgers and Penn State people don't like each other. So it was, no. especially in Cherry Hill, where I grew up, a lot of people went to Rutgers. A lot went to Cherry Hill East. I mean, to Penn State. So there's that thing. But so you're a local guy, and that's good. And I'm going to thank you for doing this show. Now, what else are you doing? Anything coming up that, you know, in production that people will see, or is everything just on hold nope, for you? Actually, you know what? I did did a. I didn't, um a season of
1: special is what it was called on Netflix last year. And we're in the middle of shooting season two when the plug got pulled because of COVID-19. So as soon as production starts to come back up, we will be finishing that. Uh, it's called special. It's on Netflix and, uh, it should be on your screen sometime this fall. And other than that, you know, you can always catch driver X on Hulu and, uh, other than that, everybody stay safe and if you have any extra money, any Starbucks money that you usually spend that you're not spending, I strongly recommend Energy to, to give it to your local food bank because a lot of people out there uh, are struggling. If you have any
0: extra change, you have the means and the will, support your local food bank during this whole problem. And now give the people your Twitter and your Instagram because you're, you're active on both.
1: Yeah, absolutely. On Instagram, it's Mr. Patrick Fabian because I feel formal. And then on Twitter, it's just Patrick Fabian.
0: So, people, go check Patrick out. Go check out Special. Go check out Better Call Saul if you haven't watched it yet. If you haven't watched it, come on, get with the program. Uh, check <laughs> me on Twitter. At, I'm at CooperTalk. Instagram at CooperTalk1. I just started a Facebook uh, Cooper Talk page. I had it, but I never did it. Go to Cooper Talk Radio and like it. And also go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 790 episodes up there. And email me at cooper coopertalk.net. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.